Hello, hello, Femme fans. Before we jump into our awesome interview today, I wanted to ask you a giant favor. We are at the end of 2021, and it is time for end-of-year giving. We've accomplished so much this year to improve women's health through innovation. I am in awe of the incredible companies I meet every single day. You all inspire me to do more to advance the industry. But in order to create more podcast episodes, grow our virtual community, publish more market research, and produce events, we need funding. So I'm asking you, please show your support by making an end-of-year tax-deductible donation at femtechfocus.org. For those that are a monthly donor or have made your end-of-year donation already, thank you from the bottom of my nerdy feminist heart. We couldn't do our work without your support. If you'd like to join their efforts in making a donation yourself, just go to femtechfocus.org. Thanks. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is brought to you by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with the members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash femtech. Okay, fem fans, in today's episode, I interview Bryony Cole, the founder of Future of Sex. As the world's leading authority on sex tech, Bryony Cole is fascinated by the way technology permeates every corner of our lives, even the most intimate ones. Since launching the top-rated podcast, Future of Sex, Bryony has been on stages across the world forecasting trends in the sex tech industry for governments, tech titans, and entertainment companies. Her incredible body of research, global sex tech hack Hackathons and annual Future of Sex report are considered the pinnacle of industry insights and innovation. She's also part of the New York-based Women of Sex Tech, a fast-growing community of entrepreneurs, developers, and thought leaders. More recently, Bryony launched Sex Tech School, which is a six-week virtual program for founders and investors to learn more about the market and how to be successful in the space. Bryony is super inspiring to me. Check out her podcast, Future of Sex, at futureofsex.org and her new program, sextechschool.com. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Bryony, welcome to the show. Hey, Brittany. Thank you for having me. Of course, a long time coming. You are like the... go-to thought leader down south, you know? (laughs) That makes you the go-to leader up north then. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's really fun to finally meet you. And, uh, and it's, I mean, what a, what a way to start an interview just by meeting each other, you know? Uh, It's so cool. It's so cool. I've heard your name a zillion times now. So here we go. Here we are. <laughs> well, let's kick off the interview by talking about you and your background. So where are you from? What did you study? You know, and then how did you end up here? 
Okay. Yes. So I am from Melbourne, Australia, and I, you know, have had, I feel like I was going through this uh, earlier today. I've had like 25 different careers before I fell into sex tech. Um, I started out studying commerce at university and getting into economics and things that I really just didn't even like, um, but ended up just doing the right thing at the right time. I guess is what I was told to do and followed that path for a while, really until my 30s. I was working in tech, I was working for startups, which which led me to here in New York, where I am today. And um, I was always really interested in the way people were using technology and the stories behind it, the humans behind it. And so once I sort of found my my own feet in New York and found what I was really interested in, which was women and sexuality and thinking about why is no one talking about technology in these dimensions, in these realms, about what it means for women, what it means for our future, for relationships and love. And that is really where I kicked off the podcast, Future of Sex, about six years ago, um, talking to anyone that would talk to me about what is the future of sex and what does sex tech mean? And you know, it was a total accident that I was in New York, which really has been the hub for so many innovators and entrepreneurs in this field. So I, I got really lucky. And, and from there, yeah, the, the, that, that I sort of found my feet, found my purpose um, six years ago when I started that. Why do you think New York City is a hub for a lot of sex tech stuff? I mean, Dame Products just won their lawsuit against the New York City Metro yeah. subway. Uh, Cindy Gallup is there with Make Love yeah. Not Porn. So what is it about New York City? Yeah, I think there's a mixture. I think there's, you know, it's pretty progressive. All the sort of, I think, coastal cities usually are a bit more progressive, a bit more open, close to Europe. I think there's a, a proximity and a driver of like New York just being so much energy. And I think the other part is um, the people that self-organize. So Polly Rodriguez, who's the founder of Unbound Babes, and um, Lydia Vanilla, who used to have House of Plume, which was a sex toy box um, storage um, company, they founded Women of Sex Tech and, and created a community. And I think that has a large part um, a, a large role in why it is the sex tech hub. They created this community where there was the intention to meet up and discuss what you're working on. And it blossomed, you know, it, it started when I joined, I was at Cindy Gallup's apartment. I know you've had Cindy on the show yeah. and we had a small gathering there, maybe only 30 women. Um, but I couldn't believe it. I'd, I'd just been researching the podcast and had interviewed Cindy. I couldn't believe, oh, my gosh, there's 30 people in one room all working on this. <laughs> and today we see, you know, women of sex tech and those organisations, there's hundreds of people and also all over the world. But I think I think that, yeah, the, the environment being so progressive but also the fact that people organise communities um, really helps solidify New York as the spot for sex tech. That's interesting because femtech, I feel like, has really boomed in the last 24 months. I like to think that femtech focus yeah. has some part in that. I no longer have Absolutely. to harp on what the definition is. I have to. I don't have to as often say, no, not fintech, femtech. I don't have to say, no, not female founder, women's health, you know, like, um, and, but we don't have a hub. There is still not a city that's like, we're the femtech hub. And I wonder if it's because so much of our growth took place during the pandemic. So like Femtech yeah. home base is Zoom. Sam, <laughs> yeah. it's a home. You need to find yeah. it a home. Yeah, I there's no real central city for it. 
I think this is a great opportunity also coming out of the pandemic, you know, whenever we're, we actually get out of it is people do want to meet again in person and realize the value in that. And I think that's almost an opportunity to be like, okay, well, where is our hub? Are there be- five different ones, you know? Yeah, and, yeah that's um, true. Because you could have a CPG one and then the healthcare one, right? right. So interesting. Yeah. I'm glad we're brainstorming on record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're planning the future right now. <laughs> no, I, I am, I'm such a believer in community. I think it really helps drive innovation and industries forward, but it also helps the humans in it, right? We all need support. And especially in the industries we work in where it's taboo, it's vice, we have to explain it 15 times to people. You want to be around people that get it because yeah. then you can have the harder conversations uh, around yeah. censorship or finding investors. But um, yeah, getting into this industry, it's so important. We have these these groups of people, whether they live on Zoom or we got to know where to find them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so when you first got into the sex tech industry, was it called sex tech? Was that a word yet? You know what? I think it was because Cindy Gallup, um, she didn't um, coin the term, but she definitely propagated its Uh usage with her Hot Topics article, which was in 2011, that said, what is sex tech and why is everyone ignoring it? And I remember that because I looked up sex and technology to start the podcast, Future of Sex. (laughs) And that was one of the first articles that came up. And I was like, okay, all right. So it's, you know, 2011 was when I, uh, you know, I can date back to the terminology, but of course, sex tech is existed for as long as humans have existed making things. I mean, technology is, I think, just a tool to do something, right? So it's just, it doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be AI or VR or even web-based, especially with sex tech like dildos and things like that, stone dildos that are 35,000 years old, you know, the antiques. I don't know if you've seen those um, in museums. That's sex tech too. We just didn't have an a term for it, but it's a tool that allows us to do a thing. Um, in this case, under the umbrella of sex. Yeah. <laughs> I said it just wasn't Bluetooth enabled yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was to come, you know, only a couple thousand years later. And so what is the future of sex? It's your podcast. And why did you start it? Yeah. So the future of sex was really this exploration for me into, well, what does the future look like now that technology, you know, I'd been at Microsoft and technology had infiltrated so much of the office. I was like, but what about our personal lives? We'd seen social media, you know, so much of our social lives, technology in the bedroom or in, you know, our emotional connections. When we think about love and intimacy, it's not just the actual sex. It's like how we express ourselves to our partners and lovers. And so for me, that was really like, this is an excuse to explore what it's going to mean for me in the future and to be able to, you know, solidify or understand what's going on with my heart and also with everything that surrounds me in this world, which is technology and smartphones. Um, And that was, that was what it started out as. I think now, you know, fast forward five years and it's, it's gone all over the place. It's not just about technology. I think the last season was so much more an exploration of like issues that people were going through in the pandemic related to intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. Even like talking to your partners, all the skills that aren't like that futuristic, but we still lack them in terms of like compassion, empathy, listening, communication, your fantasies, infidelity, all those things. So future of sex also morphed into, I would say like a sex and relationships, um, 
like, you know, exploration. And then for me personally, being involved in the industry, I'm super interested in how it's growing just, you know, right behind femtech, I feel like, and thinking about not only the emotional paradigm, but also the business. So what does the business look like and what's the innovations and who are the people behind the businesses and what's going on there? So it's kind of this two-pronged thing of like a very personal um, mission for people understanding, but also the professional side. Did you anticipate it was going to be your full-time thing? I think I really wanted it to be, you know, and I, I had left my job and sort of, I remember shooting this video and going, oh my gosh, I'm committing to doing this. And, and the way I'm going to commit, my friend was like, you have to shoot a video and tell everyone you're doing it. Oh, I love oh, that. So cringe, but, um, <laughs> did. and I, you know, I ended up for the first two years, really not making that much money, which was a big shock you know, coming from a corporate world to, oh my gosh, I have to Airbnb out my house and walk dogs and, you know, all that stuff you do because you love it. But I knew, um, well, I got this advice and I believed it at the start that if you can stay in the podcast game for two years, then you'll be fine. Then you'll be set. I don't know if that was the same for you, Brittany. Oh my God. I literally like, I'm almost upset we're recording this right now, y'all. You're going to hear what's up because we're about to hit two years. So in March, it'll be two years for the podcast. And I just updated my Rover dog walking profile because I'm not making a ton of money, right? I'm making enough to make ends meet, but I'm like, there are nights. And listeners, please, like, if you're a founder and you're feeling like this, know that I feel like this. There are many nights I lay down and I say, should I just go get a job at Bayer? Like, should I just go get a healthcare package from Johnson & Johnson? Like, I got a freaking PhD, six figures in student debt. Like, but I love talking about vulvas and I like my pink hair and I like traveling the world and telling people to think about women as not little men, you know, like, so you're giving me that eventually it'll work out. <laughs> so many, so many nights like that. And that, that is such a common occurrence for people in this industry because it's so hard, because we come from a personal mission of like, I want to talk about vulvas and this is so important to me. We're not really starting out going, well, we're going to make the big buck straight away. Like you would yeah. be in fintech or crypto or something yeah. like that. This is such a personally motivated industry. You know that if you're listening, you have a burning desire to do it. And sometimes, you know what? That light goes out because you're like, this is too hard. I'm Airbnb every single room in my place. Um, What am I doing? And I had so many of those moments over the past six years where I went back, I tried to get jobs. And then people were like, what, you're doing future of sex? So then they wouldn't hire me. And then so I'd piece together different things and started consulting in the industry, which I think is a really helpful way to yeah. to transition and now you know now I can't imagine not doing it but um it's certainly there's been multiple times where I've wanted to stop and give up and there's been multiple months where I have you know where there's been no podcast go out or there's been nothing happen because I'm like this is too hard I need to reevaluate my life mm-hmm. but here we are <laughs> coming up to two years I'm coming up to six and we're still here. So if we're in it, we're here. We are still here. I think it is important to consider your own health and wellness because I think that a lot of times founders will be in working and innovating for women's health and they're a woman who is drowning in anxiety or eating disorder or whatever. And it's like, if you're going to... uh, portray, you know, health and wellness, you got to live it too. So 
Um, you started sex tech school. What is sex tech school? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's my latest project, my baby. I absolutely love it. As I said before, I'm obsessed with communities. I think they're the key to everything just in terms of building industries, but also like helping other people. And Sex Tech School was um, a way for me to pour my knowledge back into the community of being in this industry and knowing how hard it is to get started and feeling so isolated when I started and not knowing, well, what do I do if my Instagram gets shut down? Or how can I like go about thinking about a business model. And so I put together Sex Tech School during the pandemic as a six-week program to take aspiring entrepreneurs, people that maybe already have a prototype or people that just want to change careers, right? Like me six years ago, oh my God, this is so interesting. How do I get involved? And take them through this journey around Sex Tech, looking at here's the market. Have you got an idea? Here's how to get an idea or here's how to validate your idea. Um, and walk them through, you know, the key, I think, pillars of getting involved in an industry like sex tech that are really unique, branding, um, business models, and community. And what ended up happening is we've run that, I think, coming up to five times now, um, is we have this amazing community of entrepreneurs and people building businesses and people all around the world. It's virtual. Um, There's no site for this school, um, but still connect to this day, have lives every month and talk and help one and each other and hire each other and really set about going and building businesses in the space. So for me, that's like my big baby for next year. I just want to keep growing it and ideally send like a thousand people through the school and see, yeah. see what happens. Do you, is it like an accelerator? I'd say it's like a pre-accelerator accelerator. Cool. Um, graduates have gone on to get into accelerators or to raise money. Some people come in having raised a little bit of money already. Um, so it's that, it's that sweet spot because there is no accelerator for sex tech. I was going to ask that. Yeah. What, what programs exist? Yeah, there, there, there isn't many. And now I think accelerators are warming up to the idea of sex tech mm-hmm. and we're seeing them accept and go, oh, this is super interesting. Like, let's let's make this a formal part or take a cohort on. Um, but right now there's nothing. And I think the scope for sex tech school is probably to roll out a three-month program um, and do a longer accelerator version at some point. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself. I feel like the six weeks has been the really special time because it's so intensive. Um, People come together every single week to, to really work on a project and to focus. And I think there's something in that accountability that six weeks feels just enough time. Three months is like, Oh, that's a quarter of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you think that um, I have some opinions about the everyday accelerators taking on femtech because there are unique things that femtech founders need to know, need to deal with, need to overcome, need to, and they, and there are certain things that they shouldn't have to deal with, like a mentor saying something weird or people not knowing vagina versus vulva and them spending most of their pitches describing, you know, do you feel the same for sex tech that there's actually kind of some danger in an everyday accelerator being like, yeah, we're going to do sex tech now. 
A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, in some sense, there's an inevitability. They're going to do it because mm-hmm. femtech and sex tech are hot right now. It's right. Yeah. I know it. I know. And I'm like, I laid the groundwork and you're going to come in here messing up. There's people publishing like, oh, femtech. And it's an article about uh, makeup. And I'm like, this is not femtech. That's an insult to femtech. Women's beauty is not uterine fibroids. Okay. Like, yeah, I know. I know, I know. And I mean, the thing is, Brittany, what do you do? Like, no. <laughs> what do you do? I think you just make the program. And that's why sex sexual exists. I'm like, this is going to happen. It's already happening. I think Y Combinator, look at sex tech companies. I'm seeing yeah. local Australian accelerators really interested in sex tech companies. So what can we do? We can build our own stuff. And them to hire us. doing. <laughs> Yeah, they consulting contracts <laughs> to get their program right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And they can hire us or, or we can build a better one. Maybe, you know? yeah. that's, that's the approach I'm taking. And I think, I feel like I learned that over the years when I started to feel like, what, this isn't sex tech or when things would happen. You're like, what are they talking about? This is totally off base. This is going to happen. This yeah. Gonna happen. This is like the, the adoption curve. There's confusion there's all these other things, people coming in and then all of a sudden, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, maybe this is a positive thing because there's momentum, even if it's like the wrong track. (laughs) What is sex tech to you? What does it mean to you? Yeah, I think I, I think of it really simply as these two words, sexuality and technology, right? And the two sort of the Venn diagram of how those two come together. Um, my formal definition is any technology designed to enhance sexuality, but that sounds just really boring and dry. And I think if you put everything under the sexuality bucket beyond just sex and orgasms, but certainly including them, um, things like sex education, a big passion of mine, um, sexual violence prevention, pain, just painful sex, a painful sexual condition, uh, health, medicine, wellness, that's everything to do with sexuality. And how does that um, intersect with technologies and technologies being everything from just a tool to do a thing right through to, you know, the most sophisticated mixed reality stuff. So there's so many different options when I think about sex tech like that. And I think predominantly people go sex tech is robots or vibrators. You know, that's kind of what people would, if I'm doing a talk on sex, they're like, are they talking about robots, sex robots? Or, oh, you mean vibrators? Like, yeah, that and like, you're not wrong. You're not wrong, but there's like a whole huge thing. And, you know, some of the most interesting parts of sex tech aren't robots or your robot girlfriend it's great for Hollywood but actually what about like you know the the I think you know bumping I don't know if you've heard about them they were called handy before right. um, designing sex toys for people with mobility issues and the disability oh. community oh. so cool like that's really cool designing for the aging population that's another cool thing like there's so many rural areas how do we deliver sex education there for me I geek out on that stuff and I think I try and um, you know, I, I was doing talks before the pandemic for two years as, as like my job. Mm-hmm. And I would always try and like steer people around, be like, sex robots are cool, but 
or and, you know, there's all these other aspects that need our attention that are far more real and close to us than, um, you know, having robot boyfriends is like, <laughs> it away. I feel so similar in terms of femtech and women's health being like, oh, you mean babies, like pregnancy, maternal health? And I'm like, yes. And bone health, brain health, heart health, like, yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, yeah. Cause like women have those. And I'm like, not only do they have it, but they have disproportionately high rates of migraines versus males, or, you know, or, and same for autoimmune disease, or, you know, our heart disease looks a whole lot different than men's heart disease. And they're like, oh, my God. They're not, you're not just baby makers. No, no, we're not. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And I think that's actually great advice for founders that are listening to is to find a common ground when people mm-hmm. do have that question of femtech or sexy, you're working. It's like, rather than um, being like, no, it's not that. It's almost like, yes. And I think that really helped me go. Yeah, sure. It's that, but it's all, let me tell you what else it is. Yeah, um, and you do have to do a bit of explaining, as you were saying at the start. You do, you kind of have to. It's kind of the onus is on us now to educate people, unfortunately, about what even the term is before you get to your product or service. You're like, okay, so yeah, yeah. Here's my part in it, and here's my product. What are um, some changes you've seen in the industry over time? I'm so excited because you've been in it for a while now. And so like, was it it just sex robots and dildos and now it's more, or was it always more or like, you know, what has, how has it changed? Yeah. You know, I think there's, I think a lot has changed because people's attitudes have changed. I think that's the biggest thing that's changed the whole industry and society at large is we're talking about sex so much more pandemic or not, I think, you know, the isolation and being either stuck with your partner or without a partner has definitely put a spotlight on intimacy, on our health, on all those sorts of things. And that's kind of the the happy, I guess, silver lining of all of this sort of drama of the last 24 months has been so terrible for so many people is we are more comfortable talking about our sexuality and intimacy and realise how important it is. And I think that's opened up the conversation for not only media and just everyday conversations with family and friends, but for investments. And that's what we're seeing is people are more willing to put a little bit more money on the table for sex tech products. In terms of what's changed in the products in the industry from robots or whatever, you know, from porn focused, I think we had a real moment, especially around Me Too and Time's Up, where we had a lot of women coming in and creating brands and um, doing really interesting things with the marketing, I would say. You know, there's only so many ways you can innovate on a vibrator or a clitoral suction toy or a butt plug, right? But the marketing and the messages that were being sent out really changed and shifted from like typical like hot pink neon sexy stuff to more educational. We look at Dame or Maud or Unbound or Roosevelt. There's so many now, um, you know, even Goop, right, Um, that have made sex education a part of their message and also sort of stripped it of its, um, I want to say creepiness, not creepiness, but but just kind of made it more acceptable. And so today what we're seeing is, like high-end stores, like department stores now stocking um, sex tech products, right? But much more, I would say the move 
has been recently into beauty, you know, like adjacent, like beauty, high-end, luxe um, style. I'm trying to think of that department store that's like super expensive. Um, maybe it's Barney's. I, I, I don't know. Being an Aussie, I still haven't caught on after 10 years. But that's, again, like not a really technological innovative change, but a marketing change that seems to have worked is placing things like vulva creams or dildos or, you know, lubes in the next, uh, you know, adjacent cupboard to beauty creams for eye creams. And so, and so the placement's really different. So for better or worse, I think there comes a lot of privilege with that and a bit of inaccessibility when we're talking about price points and stuff. I was like, why would you be paying 200 bucks for organic CBD lube, you know, with special superpowers to make you come? But yeah, there's that. I feel like the big change has been in the communications, the storytelling, um, and the, the movement around female pleasure. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, Fem fans, did you know that the birth control pill was invented in the 1960s? Well, it's 2021 and we are still taking our daily dose of hormones. It's time for contraception to get an update. Meet Fexi, the first and only FDA-approved hormone-free on-demand contraception vaginal gel. Fexi comes in a box of 12 pre-filled applicators and is applied up to an hour before sex. This innovative solution is brought to you by EvoFem Biosciences, NASDAQ EVFM. EvoFem is developing and commercializing innovative products to address unmet needs in women's sexual and reproductive health, including hormone-free, women-controlled contraception and protection from certain sexually transmitted infections, including chlamydia and gonorrhea. EvoFem recently launched the House Rules campaign with Fexi brand ambassador Annie Murphy, the Emmy award-winning actress from Schitt's Creek fame. Learn more about Fexi at Fexi.com or EvoFem.com. Be sure to check out the House Rules video on YouTube. It is hilarious and amazing. That's Fexi, P-H-E-X-X-I.com. And now back to the interview. Do you see like, um, it's, what I hear is that there's more women in the game now, right? So men were mm. making the toys and they were like, women want giant phallic butterfly things, you know? <laughs> and now women are like, not really. Uh, gender neutral is cool. And by the way, don't actually like it to be giant and phallic and veiny. Like I rather yeah. this thing. Um, and, but do you see additional diversity, not only in gender, but in like the, um, like people innovating for different sexual sexualities, but, and then also like people of different races or ethnicities or culturally competent toys. Is that even a thing? Yeah, a little bit. I think what I've noticed being involved in love, honey, have this competition every year where they, it's called design a sex toy. Uh And it's so great because they get submissions from all over the world. And what the last one we judged, which was pre pandemic, right before the pandemic hit actually. And it was so cool because there were so many different shapes and abstractions and things that had nothing to do with replicating genitals and often like big vibrating, like pad things or things that look kind of alien and different textures and stuff and there's so much more 
we can do with pleasure when we strip it of like it's almost like it's humanness, right? Yeah. And think about what sensations would be like and tailor it to different body types. As you said, not everyone wants a big king cock, you know, with the veins and everything. Like, yeah. I think that's the minority that wants that. Yeah. So it has been really cool. And that's one of my favorite things is looking at the submissions for that that come in from people that might not have a technical expertise, but they have their own experience. And this is what brings people to this industry, Brittany, as you would know, is our own personal experience feels so important. And for so many people in sex feels so lonely and isolated. And when you start to put those ideas out there and they resonate, um, you go, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. I think such a great example of that actually is Emily Sauer and her story about creating the O-Nut. Are you familiar oh, with yeah. O-Nut? Yeah. That reduces the depth of penetration, these, these donut rings that you put on a penis for, for painful sex. Um, and that reduces depth of penetration, you, you um, can have less painful sex, which is great. And she, I remember her telling me her story and, and her sort of that feeling that she was like, I think I'm alone. Like no one could help me. The doctors couldn't help me. I was alone. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you know, it's so, <laughs> there, it's so funny how there's like literally um, solutions that come out and like the solution itself actually inspires me to like, Oh yeah, that could be a way to get pleasure, you know, or for it to improve pleasure, like the Ona, like I had had that pain before with well-endowed partners. And, but I always was like, well, sometimes it hurts because he's that big. And it's just like, that's just how it is, you know, but it's like, oh wait, there could be a solution for that. And I, the Onut actually taught me a little bit about anatomy and like what it was actually hitting and, you know, like why and how, but similarly with uh laurels, um, yeah. Yeah, they're like these kind of latex panties for, you know, oral sex, whether that be you're uncomfortable with, you know, being skin on skin or maybe you have like a herpes outbreak, you know, Um, and I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, of course. Why are we always thinking only about condoms? Like, that's all we think about. And so, like, what for you, what do you predict is like in your ideal world, actually? Mm -hmm. There's one there's your practical prediction, but I want I want to know your ideal scenario What's the future of sex tech? What does it look like? I think it's, um, again, I, I always come back to the future of sex tech having less to do with technology and so much more to do with humans and how we're viewing sexuality and it being more open and less judgmental and more shame-free. There being more money on the table to create um, more products and services that serve different niche audiences. That's what's really interesting to me is everyone's sexual expression can look different. And there are so many people out there that think that they're alone, but they might be similar to someone that is also just a little bit different to someone else. And so I think um, for me, the future is like getting more money into this industry and seeing more amazing things happen for people that might not necessarily have the expertise, access to capital, um, but definitely have an idea and an experience. And at the root of that, Brittany, is education, you know, and sex education for me is a big passion of mine. I think it will solve so many other things down the track, you know, if we learned about pleasure, if we learned about painful sex, if we really learned about anatomy and things at a younger age, we wouldn't have to have so much focus on adult sex education. And so how does sex tech, how does technology play a role in delivering amazing sex education to people um, wherever they are in the world? And so for me, that's sort of my big bet that I'm 
that I'm hoping on in the dream world is that we have incredible um, innovation around sex education, whether that is delivered by robots or it is delivered by virtual reality, which I think would be really cool. You know, I think sex ed in VR is like that perfect intimate environment where you still, you know, it's it's an intimate experience, you feel safe, um, but is also like so innovative. And I think once we get there with that sort of stuff, I'd be really excited to see that. We've seen a couple of students out of sex tech school develop VR projects, one specifically in sex education that get me really amped for what the future of sex tech could be. What is, you know, we have a lot of founders listening and I'm sure a lot of the sex tech founders are going to listen to this episode in particular. And so, you know, I see companies being successful like Dame and they have, or or Mod, and they have uh, product lines, right? They have multiple products, but then I see all these founders having a single product, right? And it's really hard for them to fundraise. And like the idea of like, what is that long-term value? Because how many toys, how many times is somebody going to buy a toy, you know? Um, uh, And so what are some of the suggestions you have for these types of founders? You know, I think it always starts with one product. I think there's the 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 pressure should come off immediately in terms of thinking about creating a line. Um, Dame started with one product. We all, you know, coming back to that one product that really is the reason you do what you do, the reason that you're passionate, the reason that the start with one thing, I think is always good. It's always going to be so much worse than what you had in your mind too. I think that's one thing that people struggle with a lot is like having this amazing vision. And then when they go to put it out, they're like, what the hell is this? (laughs) I I felt that way about my podcast. I don't know if you did too. I remember I deleted the first 14 episodes of my podcast because I was like, this sounds like I'm in a toilet. but Get used to it. Get used to it. Yeah. Those product lines, they come after. They come after you really find yourself and the product traction. And then you go, oh, this. But it's okay to also change your mind. You might start out with a lube and then go, you know what, I'm going to make, you know, STD tests instead. But I think that what's important is getting it out there first and testing it. So many people suffer in silence alone, work on things for years and years, pour a lot of their savings into it and never show it to anyone. And so for me, my advice is show your work, show your work all the time. Keep showing your work, keep getting the feedback. That's how these things evolve. And, you know, I look back at my story or my trajectory in sex tech, I never could have imagined that. I probably thought it would just be a podcast, but it turned from a podcast to events to a speaking career and now to a school and later on who knows a fund of accelerate whatever it is I don't know yet but I'm I'm creating my own product line in that sense so Mm -hmm. I think start somewhere and show your work that's so cool speaking of venture funds are there venture funds that invest specifically in sex tech you know, over the years, there's ones that keep popping up here and there, and it's hard to really nail one down. I don't know if you can speak to this yet. I keep, I, I want to see some more um, movement in the in the space. But a Healthy Pleasure Group is one that I know of. Um, of course, you guys. Yeah, we we invest in sex tech. Yep, yep. Um, but again, it's uh, it's not our main focus. You know, and so we, you know, at Coyote have 18 investments to make. And if, if we are trying to do a portfolio, portfolio construction well, only a small percentage of those can be sex tech, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, that's why I was asking, like, is there, is that a thing that's coming? You know, um, over the last two years, six femtech funds have been formed. We now have seven, um, you know, but it's like the last 24 months it's happened. And so yeah. I wonder if one of the barriers to the sex tech one is the, that vice clause that people talk about, which is yeah. the people who invest in venture funds have their own rules. Um, they're the, you know, when we talk about, you know, I'm glad that target is pro LGBTQ, but you know, it's like all those large enterprises with branding like Nike and stuff, they can be loud and about movements, but there's richer people even behind those that aren't speaking up and are still really conservative or still like having their own opinions about stuff. Um, and so I, I don't know. How long do you think it'll take us to finally <laughs> you and I to be like one of the richer people making decisions behind me? I know. Okay. Well, <laughs> just watch this space. There may be something coming next year. And oh, I think, cool. um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but it's inevitable, right? Yeah. It's inevitable that we're, we're going to get impossibly wealthy yeah. uh, in this space if not just spiritually, (laughs) it's coming, it's coming, be patient and and stay in the game. Mm -hmm. I always say if uh, I always have, I have these like backup company plans. One of them is a a vice bank for just for like drugs, psychedelics, (laughs) sex. You need a bank? I got you. Like that's a great, it's so necessary, so needed. Please solve that. Please solve that. (laughs) Well, this has been so much fun. I have two last questions. Our listeners really love one is we have a lot of uh, university graduate students, people interested in entrepreneurship. So what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Oh, my goodness. I mean, look, isn't there just so many at the moment? I think for me, I've been really excited about, which has blown up, as you know, in the past like 12, 24 months, menopause market, I think is really interesting. It's perhaps more interesting if you're experiencing it. I always feel like you should focus on your own you know, what's not working in your own life and then see if that resonates with other people and start from that place. So menopause for student grads may not be the first place to think of. Yeah. Um, but thinking about what's what's what grinds your gears in your own life around that and that's sort of where we all started. I think that's really the place to start. Um, other interesting areas, of course, are, you know, disability and rural areas as well, but find your passion first or find like something that's really bugging you, actually. Just find out what pisses, do an inventory of what's pissing you off and mm-hmm. then go and talk to people about it and see if they, it pisses them off too. And <laughs> I love it. And then our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Um, don't we all need money? We need money, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the biggest barrier, Brittany. Everyone has the intellectual chops, the business skills, the creativity. If they don't have the skills to find people, I think what we need is more money to do more cool shit. Yeah. Do you have any predictions where this money will come from? these funds that we keep talking about, you know, Mm -hmm. that I think, I think that that's the way that it's going to happen. It feels like it's been brewing for a while Mm -hmm. that people are going to, that are suddenly clicking and getting it and going, okay, well, we need a dedicated fund to this. Maybe something that steps outside of, doesn't have to deal with morality clauses or does this. That's my hope. I think that's a very optimistic hope. 
Um, because the other alternative is like we just prove these products out via crowdfunding or seed funds and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and it's, it's a longer road. Um, well, I know one way to get VCs in the game is by showing exits. So has there been sex tech exits? Not that I really know of. Do you know of any? I'm not, uh, not yet. Like there's not yet a unicorn. And I think when that happens, yeah. Yeah. then it'll be easy. We just need yeah. that one. And yeah. then it sort of, it all is a domino effect because everyone wants to get in on it. But I wouldn't say it's that far away. No. And I, I bet there are exits. And I think that it's probably similar to femtech where two years ago I asked people, have there been any femtech exits? And people said exactly what you said. Maybe. I don't think so. Once we do though, and don't you know it, I turned over enough rocks over the last two years that we actually have a database of 130 exits of which five are over a billion dollars. And so the issue actually wasn't exits. The issue is um, like research and, and publication yeah. of that information. No one had spent the time to look it all up, make a database, yeah. analyze it, write a report, right? And so people used to not think femtech had exits. And now based on you know what I like to think is femtech focuses research and a lot of other people's people are like, oh yeah, femtech, trillion dollar market. Yeah, of course, you know? And so maybe that's what sex tech needs um, is a, a database, you know, that research. It does. And watch this space for that also. But yeah, mm-hmm. the infrastructure of the industry isn't there. You know? Yeah, and that's, exactly. That's how you can tell it's really green and new in that sense is like there's no directories. There's, you know, yeah. majority research are doing initial research on the space. We're just, we're just now seeing it pop up, you know, and all these conferences and things. But in terms of getting your business going, so I started Sex Tech School because it's like, where do we start? Yeah. There's nothing out there. If you can buy every domain name with the word in it, it's a new industry. I own about 50 Femtech domains. I got Femtech Summit, Femtech Forward, Femtech First, Femtech All. I bought them all for $9. $9, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's why also another, you know, when you're a founder, you have lots of plan Bs through Zs. Another one is like selling the domain names because I'm like, well, it's popular enough now. (laughs) Yeah, you could make make a bit of rent money on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bryony, this has been so much fun. You are amazing. I'm so glad we finally met. Uh, two sisters working in our, you know, parallel universes with the overlap and yes. sexual wellness because it is it is health. It is absolutely. Brittany, thank you so much for having me. I hope we get the chance to to hang out in person really soon. Love that. Thank you for listening to my interview with Bryony Cole, the founder of Future of Sex and Sex Tech School. If you have an idea for a sex tech company, definitely follow Bryony and apply to her next cohort of the uh, accelerator that she launched. And also check out her podcast, Future of Sex. Go to sextechschool.com to apply for the program or go to futureofsex.org to listen to her show. Alrighty, Fem fans, don't forget to make your end of year donation at femtechfocus.org. If you donate $100 or more, you'll be sent a donor gift of your choice. Please give the show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up to be a FemPro member for only $10 a month and get access to the Femtech Institute, a library of Femtech and startup lessons that are sure to help you advance your startup and teach you more about the Femtech industry. 
Keep an eye out for our monthly Femtech book club and subscribe to our newsletter. Again, please consider making a donation to Femtech Focus end of year's fundraising campaign. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Mm-hmm.